Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you so much for uh, our time together so far. What a great opportunity every Lord's Day to gather and worship through song and your word and to fellowship and to experience genuine koinonia within the body of Christ. And Lord, thank you that we are a family and we can express needs and, and come alongside one another um, in true love, self-sacrificial love even when it's inconvenient or requires us to uh, change things in our own lives and our own plans. So thank you for that. And now, Lord, as we continue on in, in the big picture in our series on grace, and specifically as we've been sort of peeling back the layers and as you have been going deeper and deeper uh, really into our hearts, I ask you this morning, Lord, uh, continue to do that through your Holy Spirit. You tell us that the Spirit is the counselor. You tell us that your word is truth. And it's through your word that we are sanctified. It's through your word we are saved. And so, Lord, um, yield and submit. We don't want to just be hearers. We want to be doers. And so, Father, um, do what only you can do in and through us in the remaining time we have this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, if you notice, we did something, I don't think I've ever done this, is we have a full page of notes. And that's intentional because in the big picture, uh, we, we're in a series on grace. And to understand the context, I wanted to put in context what you're going to hear in the message today specifically. You need to understand it in the big picture that God is the God of all grace. And grace is what? Unmerited favor, right? You can't buy it. You can't earn salvation. It is God's grace. What do you have to do? You have to simply what? Receive it, right? You simply receive God's grace. It's who he is. And we went back. We looked in the Old Testament, right? Through creation, through the fall. We saw that some of us may have been carrying around this idea that God is angry. God is a God of wrath. God is waiting for you to mess up. God's a big principle in the sky like Marvin and going to call you in when you mess up, right? And, and we learned that, no, God isn't that. God is a God of grace. From Genesis 1-1, everything was created good for whose benefit? Ours, right? So from the opening pages of the Bible all the way through, God is a God of grace. A wonderful God of grace, right? It doesn't mean he winks at sin. It doesn't mean that it doesn't include holiness and ultimate judgment. Doesn't, but at the core, he's a God of grace. That's his essence, right? And then we saw that, as believers, when you put your faith, when you truly believe on Christ and you become a part of God's family, he calls you to come to his throne of grace, not a throne of judgment. Even as Christians, many of us still saw God's throne as a throne of judgment. And you only go to, to, you know, like if you had a parent or someone you only heard from when you what messed up. Right. So we thought of God. It's a throne of judgment still. God only calls me when I messed up. I said, no, it's a throne of grace. He says, approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence. Confidence, right? And you see there, what do you find there? You find sympathy, understanding, compassion. You don't find finger pointing. You don't find, I told you so's. You find, hey, Jesus was human and he understands. Because he was tempted in every way you are, but he just didn't sin. So you find compassion, right? You find mercy, which means you don't get what you deserve. You find grace, which means you get what you don't deserve. 
And then God responds to your cry for help. And remember that cry for help? It was two word pictures. You cry out for help. And the person who hears it, what comes? Running. Jesus comes running when you cry for help. And the other word picture was in Acts, the ship, the big boat, right? In a hurricane, the boards are about to split. So they wrap it in what? Rope and cables, right? And we saw that when you come to the throne of grace, when your life is about to fall apart, whenever you can't hold it together, God says, I got you. Right, Scott? I got you. I'm wrapping you. That's what you find at the throne of grace. Right? And so we, we talked about this grace this way, and then we started to go into, okay, so how do we play out grace in the church? How do we play out grace in our daily life? And we saw there, well, beginning, you, Romans 15, 7, you accept one another as Christ accepted you, right? It's a starting point. It's a starting point, right? And then we have unified purposes. We said you draw near to God. That's why we're all here is to draw near to God. We're going to hold to truth. We're going to consider how we may lovingly spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We're not going to give up meeting together. All right? This is not an afterthought. This is not a... You know, if I can make it, I will. This is like, no, this is the first thing on my calendar. I'm here, right? And then we're going to encourage one another. And then the last few weeks, we have been talking about grace specifically through our words. Through our words. So Ephesians 4.29 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And so we asked ourselves, and other versions said that it may impart grace. So we, we, we talked the last few weeks, and many of you have shared them. It's been really, it's been really piercing for some of you. And that's, that's not a bad thing. Conviction and discomfort as a believer, that's a good thing. In fact, the Bible says that this, that itself, is sharper than any two-edged sword. And what it does, it pierces where? The heart. Pierces the heart. It's designed. And so some of you are like, oh, man. These words, let no corrupt communication come out of my mouth. And you were starting, you know, God really worked in many of your lives. Like, man, am I imparting grace through my language? What if people at work are overhearing me? What, what are they thinking? Am I, you know, we thought we had kind of fun with the word accent. What accent did Jesus speak with? And we found out the Bible says he came full of grace and truth. Right. And so as Christians, we should be speaking with that same accent. Grace and truth. And, and it's been really tough because I shared with you, there's a group, you know, a group of college students who took this to heart. And when they got together, they used to be real critical and negative and didn't have really edifying talk. And so they said, let's take this to heart. And when we get together, let's say nothing except what builds up, except what imparts grace, except what is helpful. Right. And what happened to that small group when they met? They didn't talk. Because they had gotten the habit of unedifying, corrupt communication. And it happens even in the church. We call it sharing. The world calls it gossip. I just got to share with you. I just got to share with you. You know, we got to be very careful even in the church. That we don't... We don't pocket get in little pockets and and because we're with church people it's okay to have unedifying talk or whatever i'm just joking i'm just like that and and part of the 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 challenging part is uh, would you say the same thing if jesus was right there i don't know 
I don't know, right? And, and then we saw Ephesians 4.15. We saw this last week. It said, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. So we saw that word tr- speaking the truth in love. Sure, it has this idea that, hey, you know, if I see something in, in Tina's life, Tina, you know, I want to chat with you in love because I see something and I'm going to speak the truth. Many of us just pigeonhole that verse of only when you confront someone. And that's not really the bigger picture. And you saw last week's sermon was, are you a truther? And that verse where it says speaking the truth in love really means truthing in love, which means that your walk should match your talk. That 24-7, how I live should be speaking the truth. I shouldn't even have to say anything. And people should know what I stand for. Right? We talked about all of us know Christians or people who profess to be Christians. And you, you're like, man, I heard so-and-so, da-da-da-da-da-da. And they call themselves a Christian. Right? And, and sometimes we get this idea, well, all these verses just mean what comes out of my mouth. So we learn at certain circumstances and certain situations to say all the, what we call Christianese. But then our lives or in other situations, we just go into the world. And we're learning, you know what, that if we're going to be grace, ministers of grace, there is no split. Our walk should match our talk 24-7. 24-7. And then we saw, right, turn to Luke 6. How is this possible? Where is the starting point, Right? Luke six forty three. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not take figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up where? In his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up where? In his heart. For out of the overflow of what? His heart, his mouth speaks. See, this, those, these verses in Ephesians wasn't about becoming the, the language police. Oh, I've got to say good things and stop saying bad things. I've got to say good things and not saying bad things. No. Luke says, if you want to have godly, edifying conversation, where do you begin? In your heart. In your heart. And if you're struggling with your language, you should really go one step deeper and look at your heart. Lord, what's going on in my heart? And I use these illustrations, right? If this is the heart, right? And we've got stuff in there, right? And the Bible says we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. We're to surround ourselves with others who speak the same accent, right? So really what the Bible is saying, in your heart... If, if what comes out of my mouth and what comes out of my life, because Proverbs says, guard your heart for out of it flow what? Everything in your whole life. All the issues of life flow out of your heart. And so we learn that we've got to be doing some very specific things, disciplines, if you will, pouring into our heart to get this stuff out. It's not about looking good. Because you can look really good, and a lot of us grew up in church just trying to look really good. Right? But inside... We still had our stuff. And on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, we looked good. 
right? Because that's what it was about. Isn't that what Christianity is about? Just external morality, being a good person. Isn't that, isn't that Christianity? Right? No, it's not. And we said, no, what, what, what the Bible is saying is it, it's what, what's going in, right? God's word in, God's word out, right? The Holy Spirit, right? You fill this up. You're being filled daily, yielded to the Holy Spirit. You're letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You're surrounding yourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ who are building you up, not tearing you down. You're committed to coming here on the Lord's Day, Wednesdays, small groups with the men, all of that. You're pouring into your heart. And what happens to the stuff as a fruit of that? It changes. See, a lot of us focus on cleaning up the outside and Jesus and God says, no, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Focus on what's going in. That was liberating for many of you because you grew up in the church and you kept trying to do all the right stuff. I got to do, do, do and not, not, not. And then if I in my if my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff, I guess I'm a good Christian. And the liberating part of this, what we've learned in this whole series on grace up to this point is, no, it's about what's going in. If the right stuff is going in, the right stuff's going to come out. Amen. Right. It was interesting. Uh, my brother, my mom called, you know, there's a bunch of fires. My brother lives in San Diego and uh, he had to be evacuated. And it was kind of interesting. And I said, what'd you do? Oh, we packed some stuff and, you know, went to went to a friend's house, lived a little ways away for a few hours. But if you look at that on the news, you're like, okay, if there's a big fire coming towards Ojai and you had 10 minutes, what's the most important thing you would grab in your house? See, right? It would vary. Some would look for their iPhone, you know. Some would look for their pets, pictures, computer hard drive, right? You would prioritize things, right? And, and where God is bringing us, he keeps peeling back layers, peeling back layers, right? And he says, hey, Christian, what is the most important thing in, that, that, that touches every area of your life? If you had to prioritize it, what would you nail it down to? Right? Let, let, let me just turn to Proverbs and let's look at that. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your what? Heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, Christian. Everything in your life, your money, every relationship, what comes out of your mouth, how you use your time, everything, your obedience, everything comes from where? Your heart. All right. Now, biblically, the heart means the core of your being. It's your emotions. It's your intellect. It's your will. It's the very core of who you are. That's what heart is in the Bible. It's you. It's at the deepest level. This is what makes me me is my heart. And so he says, at your very core, you need to guard that because out of this core, out of your heart, comes everything. Everything. There is not a thing. Bill is fond of saying there's no compartmentals. There's no compartments. There is none because everything comes to your heart. And out of your heart, every issue, your business life, your thought life, 
Everything flows from your heart. And so he says in Proverbs 4.23, guard it. Right? And so I was praying. I was like, Lord, where, where are you going? Where are we going with this series? And, and, you know, many of you resonated with pouring in the right stuff to your heart. And then as I was praying, he's like, okay, let's go one step deeper. We're going to go one step deeper here. We, we've been approaching and I've been teaching kind of the believers, right? Pouring the right stuff in your heart. But this morning, the question is, do you have the right heart? Are you trying to pour all this good stuff into your old heart? And wondering why it's... See, at the core, at the core, many of you know the phrase born again. How many of you know you've been, you, you've been born again? John 3, 7, right? Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's a big word we talked about years ago called regeneration. When you believe on Christ with your whole being, you are born again. You are regenerated and you are given a brand new heart. A brand new one. And it's that new heart that you're to fill. The question today for us who may be here for the first time or have been in church for 40 years, do you have a new heart? You have a new heart. Right? And we're going to look at some verses, and, and I'm going to preface this. We're going to look at some verses that, that if you take the time, they're, they're, they're pretty challenging. They were challenging to me last night. I was up for hours just in my own walk. And some of you will hear them and you go, oh, you're being legalistic. Oh, you're judging. Oh, you can't. You don't know. And I'm going to share with you. I'm going to speak the truth in love, and we're going to look at what God's Word says. We're just going to look at what God's Word says. Okay, so let's turn to Acts 8. Acts 8, yeah, actually in the, your notes there, it should be Acts 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 tells us, you don't have to turn there, I'll read that to you. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. See, the Corinthians, when the Apostle Paul first went to the city of Corinth, they were kind of drilling. Who are you? Why should we listen to you? And then in this verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he turns the tables. He says, hey, you, who profess to be Christians, you questioned me all this time. Now I'm going to question you. Why don't you examine yourself? Why don't you take the time and examine your own heart and see if you're in the faith? All right? Examine yourselves. That's what 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says. And there's a story in Acts 8. The early church gets persecuted in Jerusalem. They get spread out. They flee. And wherever they go, they start preaching the gospel. So there's a story here about Simon. And it's going to be very instructive for us. Okay? Acts 8, verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. All right? So Simon, they think he's deity. Simon says, boom, and things are happening. And, and all these people start following. This dude might be a god. But at the very least, he's doing some crazy supernatural things. So he gets this huge following, right? He boasts. He's very pride, proudful. And he says, 
But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So Philip shows up, one of the apostles, and God is using him, and he's doing signs and wonders. And Simon goes, hmm. Now what's interesting is that Simon believed and was baptized. And so he starts following Philip around. Check that out. Check that out. Right? Okay? When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, the Samaritans, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay? Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, very important verses coming up. When Simon, remember Simon the sorcerer, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Okay, Simon, big shot. Boom, boom, boom. This guy might be God. This guy's got power. Philip shows up. God's doing signs and wonders through him. Simon sees that, whatever level sort of mentally believes that, gets baptized, follows him around. Peter and John, the big boys, show up. They start, God uses them to confer the Holy Spirit on the Samaritans. Simon says, hey, how much? How much? I want that power. How much? And what Peter says, where it says in verse 20, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Okay, take this the right way. There's a very literal translation in some Bibles. I'm just going to say it because the Bible says. What, what, what Peter says, he says, to hell with you and your money. That's what he says. He says, your heart's not right, buddy. It's full of bitterness. See, right away, his words, we just saw in Ephesians, Simon's words exposed his heart. See, he might have mentally believed, he might have seen some good things happening, and then he went through the ritual of getting baptized. So people thought, he's a believer. He's a believer, but his heart never changed. And Peter speaks the truth. He says, dude, your heart is not right. When he says you have no part in this ministry, he says, dude, you're not even part of the church. He says, repent. Your heart's full of bitterness. And Simon says, and look at Simon's reaction. He doesn't even repent. He says, hey, why don't you pray for me? His heart is still hardened. He's called to the carpet about the condition of his heart, and he says, uh, why don't you pray to the Lord for me so nothing you have, so no bad things happen to me? What's the point? When you read that, Simon believed and was baptized. As you read further in the full context, you realize he wasn't a real believer. He came initially because something he saw he liked. But when his heart was exposed, what was his heart exposed to? Hey, I like what I see here for me. 
Can you give me some of that to enhance me? I could use that as part of my show because magicians and sorcerers in these days used to sell each other tricks. See, what he saw happening in the church was not about him submitting and yielding and surrendering to Jesus. It was like, what's in it for me? What can I get out of this? How can this enhance my life? I like this. You see, his heart, he never got the right heart. And that's a challenging part for us. And I'm, I'm going to say this, and it, um, just you know me. Many of you know me even before I got here. God has called me to shepherd. God has called me to pastor. And in 20 years of ministry, I know that churches are full this morning with people who profess to be believers, but their hearts still aren't right. They might have even been baptized, but their hearts aren't right. They might be coming to church for a lot of different reasons. And church might be helpful, and it might be fun, but in the end, your heart's not right. Right? And Jesus says some very powerful things. Let's look at Matthew 7. Matthew 7:15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Just by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. And wasn't I a pastor? And didn't I play on the worship team? And didn't I help move Tina umpteen times? And, you know, didn't I set up donuts? Didn't I go to OBCF Sunday and Wednesday? Didn't I give faithfully? Lord, didn't I do all this stuff? Verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Turn to Titus 1.16. Titus is after Timothy. First, second Timothy. Right below Philemon in Hebrews. If you get to Hebrews, you went too far. Right after second Timothy. Titus 1.16 says this. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny Him. By their actions. They claim to know Him, but by their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. That word unfit, there's a, a churchy word some of you may have heard about, reprobate. Reprobate means not genuine. It's when you test a metal and you find out, at eh, counterfeit. What are you saying? Hey, by their words, they say all the right things. They sing all the right songs. They know the verses. But their actions prove that they're not genuine. That's what Titus is saying, right? Keep going to your right, First John. 
1 John 2. First John 2, starting in verse 3. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar. And the truth is in Him, not in Him. But if anyone obeys His word, God's love is truly made complete in Him. He says, hey, you're professing a believer and you're not living it. First John 2 says what? You're a what? We're a what? a liar I was reading these and I'm like man James 2.17 faith without works is dead right So, so there's a lot of people sitting in churches this morning and the question is see God calls us to be shepherds here me and Tyler and Bill we're not detectives and and I'll tell you right now anyone who watches that door we give the benefit of the doubt but I'll tell you, in years of ministry, the fruit reveals itself. We're going to love you. We're going to shepherd you. Our number one calling here is to answer the most important question for anyone in this building and anyone listening on tape. Are you right with God? Do you have the right heart with God? That is the eternal question. That is what I'm called to do. In fact, when I was in law school and I was a new Christian and I was studying, it, one day it just dawned on me. Wait, there's a heaven and a hell. An eternal heaven and eternal hell. It's through grace. Faith in Jesus. What else matters? Why am I going to law school? And that was a corner in my life. And I said, I'm going to, what else matters? Eternity. I'm not, you know, not everyone has to do that. But that was my calling in life. It just dawned on me. And as a pastor, our, our pastors, our number one concern, our number one calling is, is your heart right with God? Is Relay for Life good? Yes. Is Moving People good? Yes. Are Agape Meals good? Yes. But none of that ever supersedes your heart with God. Never. Because in you, I've got to be honest with you. As a youth pastor, you know, we try to get all these ways to get people to get their heart right with God. And in years past, we said... We start a worship team, and maybe we'll let someone play on the youth band. And I'm not sure where he is with the Lord, but maybe by involvement in the youth band, he'll get right with God. You know what happened? Disaster. Because he got involved, and instead of his heart getting right with God, it turned into showtime. Because he was using it for him. Simon, the sorcerer. Right? In churchdom, because pastors and leaders, we have this heart to get people to know God. Sometimes we create programs and ministries and our heart is for you to get to know God. And it's all fingers pointing to God. The worship team here is a finger. I'm a pastor preaching this. I'm a finger. You love the donuts. It's a finger. It's all fingers pointing to who? God. But our human nature gets stuck on looking at the finger. Is your, do you have the right heart? And I know it's tough, and this, is, this has been tough for me. And, and so, oh, now you're getting legalistic. Who are you to judge if someone's a Christian or not? I'm not judging. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Because woe to me. I would be heartbroken if anyone in this room stood before the Lord and he said, I never knew you. Devastating to me if I didn't preach this. I didn't. So I told the guys in prayer, you know what? 
I'm uncomfortable with this, but I'm going to preach it because it's the word and we'll deal with the consequences later. This is not a bring them in, feel good message. This is like, I wonder who's coming back message. Our heart here is for you to love God passionately. Now, is it sanctification? Yes. Is it, are we talking perfection? No. Is it a process? How, how are you doing? Yes, it's, we get all of that. It's a process. But the question this morning is, how is your heart with God? How is your heart with God? That's what really matters. And everything we do on Sundays and Wednesdays and all the fun we have, it's just fingers pointing you to God. It's just fingers pointing you to God. And that's when churches get in trouble when they elevate the finger above God. When they elevate the personality and they elevate the music and they elevate all their programs. Hey, look at our fingers. Look at our fingers. No, look at Jesus, please. Just look at Jesus. That's our heart here, right? And you just receive it. It's a gift. It's grace. And we're going to look at that more next week. How do we just receive it, okay? But my heart for you this morning, it, it, you got to search your heart, guys. I had to search my heart last night. Lord, am I really in this? And then I saw this, and we're going to close with this, and Bill, we'll just pick up next week. This picture right here. Some of you who follow the news know this. This is a picture of a husband and wife from Sudan. Right there. Undated picture. This Thursday, she was condemned to be executed. She's eight months pregnant. She's been condemned to be executed as soon as she gives birth for leaving Islam. They gave her, according to the articles I've read, they gave her three days to recant her Christian faith. She said no. So as it stands right now, they're going to let her give birth. They're, they're, then they're going to give her a hundred lashes for marrying a Christian man, which they consider adultery. And after they give her a hundred lashes, they're going to hang her for becoming a Christian. See, I read that, and, then I, and I read these verses, and I'm like... This is all in. This is so all in that it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around this. And it kept me up last night. That's all in. That's like Jesus is Lord. And it really just pierced my heart. We love you. I love you. When you come through those doors, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. For whatever reason you came. But just know, I'm all, you hang around me long enough, I'm going to ask you the question, how are you doing with God? How are you doing with God? And if you're struggling, just say, I'm struggling. I still love you. We still love you. That's where we are, guys. Can we just start there? Can we just start there? You know, I told the guys we had a great men's meeting last, yesterday. And uh, I said, gents, where we are in men's ministry is beyond an eight-week program. I said, when Nadine and I started this church, we settled the issue that this was the church till we go home. I'm not going to apply for another senior pastor job. This is it. And I looked around the room and I said, gentlemen, as long as God calls you to this church, we're in this for the long haul. And I think I said, Pat, I have no idea what you're going to look like when you're 80. Right? I mean... We're in this for the long haul. I understand that. 
We're not asking you to, to, to jump through hoops and perform for us and prove anything to us. We're just asking you to be open to letting God work in your heart. This, this message has been tough. Because it called me, God called me to the carpet last night and said, are you going to preach this? Because if you preach this, some people are going to leave. And I had to settle. Okay. It was me and my family right there. Okay. We are going to be unswerving in this. And, and this message, you know, just, just know my heart. Just know my heart. My heart is for your heart to know God. That's it. That's it. Let's pray and we'll take communion. In. Lord, thank you for uh, speaking truth and love. And we're not here to judge and cast fingers at anybody. For only you know the heart. You test the hearts. But you're very clear, Jesus. You're very clear. That's not about saying the right stuff. And it's not about us getting what we want from church. It's about us surrendering, submitting, yielding our entire life to you as Lord, authority, sovereign, king, master. Why? Because you went to the cross for us. It's not what we can get from you. It's what you've already done at Calvary. You paid the price we could never pay. Our, by faith in you, our eternity is set in heaven. And therefore, my life is yours. I have nothing to claim in my life except to follow you, Jesus, as my Lord. And so we, we stop on this Sabbath. And as we take this communion, I pray you'd use this time for us to examine our hearts. And maybe someone here who grew up in the church, maybe someone who serves in the church, maybe someone here who does whatever in the church, maybe for the first time you're going to say, Lord, my heart has not been renewed. I've not been truly born again because I've never really fully given it up. And this morning, I'm doing that right now. And this morning, Lord, I'm going to take my first communion as someone who is confessing Jesus as the Lord, not just with my mouth, but with my whole life.